Good morning. It's time to take you live to the Bible study at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. Good morning. We are glad you are here as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians. And we welcome those in our KFUO listening audience. So we're going to begin today a little bit back in chapter 9 with 20, verse 25, 9, 25, because it kind of sets up what's going to be talked about in chapter 10. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and put it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What Paul is talking about here is spiritual discipline. Being a spiritually disciplined person. Being one who has self-control. Now, it can be said that most Christians have a overconfidence in their spirituality. An overconfidence in their spirituality. We think that we are stronger than we are. We think that we can handle things better than we actually can. And it causes us at times to take risks. Oh, I can listen to that kind of music all the time, even though it is very, very anti-Christian. But I like it. I can go to movies uh, that are R-rated because uh, I, I know about that stuff and I, I can handle it. I can, you know, I, I, I like this TV preacher and he's not really Lutheran, but I like some of the things he says. Okay. They sound right to me. And we could go on and on and make lists of things. But Paul is saying to be a spiritually disciplined person and have self-control over your spiritual life. Lest you be disqualified. And that is the word that he really focuses on as we begin chapter 10. Because in chapter 10, he's going to give grave warnings 
to the Corinthian church. Because the Corinthian church, they were taking chances, risks, that put their spirituality in jeopardy. In jeopardy. And he did not want them to be disqualified. So as we begin chapter 10, just keep that in mind, that that's the overall reason that Paul is writing this chapter. And the first verse says that. For I do not wish you ignorance, brothers. I do not wish you to be unaware, brothers. And then he begins. That all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Okay? Now, this is interesting because he calls them fathers. And he was speaking to Gentiles. Now, you would see how he would be speaking to a Jewish audience and say, our fathers, our fathers. But these are Gentiles. But it just goes to show that Paul now considers the Gentiles a part of the godly people. Their fathers, spiritual fathers, were indeed Jews. And so he doesn't hesitate to call them fathers. And of course, he's referring to the cloud that led the tabernacle, that led them through the wilderness, the pillar of cloud that stood before and behind them, uh, that protected them from the Egyptians, and they passed through the sea. But then he makes an interesting comment. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, he is going to make some parallels. And you probably heard the word type typological theology, a type. A type is something, a model or a form of something that is later fulfilled. So you go back into Genesis and you hear about Melchizedek, the high priest, who had no beginning and no end but he was the high priest of God. That's all we know about him. But he was a type of Jesus Christ because he had no beginning and he had no end and he was the high priest. 
So he was a foreshadowing of something that would be fulfilled later. That's a type. What Paul is now discussing is that when the children of Israel passed through the sea and were under the cloud, they were baptized into Moses. Now what in the world does that mean? It simply means that they came to trust Moses as the one sent from God to provide leadership. It's a type in that we are baptized into Christ and we trust him because we know God sent him to be our savior. So a type. It certainly wasn't fully fulfilled then, but it pointed to the time. But it says the children of Israel were baptized into Moses. They trusted him as God's appointed one. And then he, he says, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Another type. What's he pointing to? Huh? The Lord's Supper. They ate spiritual food, manna from heaven. But that was a type of the, what they would receive in the Lord's Supper. The true fulfillment. The same spiritual drink Okay, and then he tells us what that is here. For they drank from the spiritual rock which followed him. Christ was the rock. They didn't believe it in the Old Testament, but when the New Testament came, they realized Christ was the rock that followed around the children and the Israel in the wilderness. And when the water came forth from the rock, it was Christ providing. But of course, that has implications for both baptism and could be spiritual drink, the Lord's Supper. So what he's saying is, God gave them all these gifts. He gave them all these gifts. Just like he gives us all these gifts. We have baptism. We have the Lord's Supper. He was giving them spiritual gifts. And then he closes. But... God was not pleased with many of them. With many of them. For your translation probably says died in the wilderness. The actual word is that God scattered them on the ground in the wilderness. 
In other words, they died in the wilderness and they stayed in the wilderness. They literally died on the ground of the wilderness. He was not pleased with them. And why wasn't he pleased with them? Now what Paul is trying to do here is show them these people have all the spiritual gifts that you do. You've got it better. But they still did not please God. And now he's going to begin a section where he gives five illustrations. Five illustrations that they were not pleasing God. So just bear with me. Okay? These things happened as an example that you, that we may not crave evil, that we may not covet after these evil things. Now that's the first one. Each verse we believe is a reference to something that happened in the Old Testament. And this craving evil, we believe, goes back to Numbers chapter 11. When they were in the wilderness, as you remember, they used to crave what they had in Egypt. The food, um, everything they had in Egypt they thought was better. This, you know, they were eating manna, drinking water from the rock, were not satisfied. So they craved meat. And so God sent them quail. And as soon as he did, they ate themselves sick with it the first time it came. And it angered God. They craved evil. They craved not just the food in Egypt. They wanted to go back. They forgot quickly how bad things were. They wanted to go back. They, they had forgotten about the bondage, the slavery, uh, all that. God had saved them from all that. And here they are complaining constantly, craving the very evil he saved them from. And it made God angry. So we think this first example is a craving for sin and evil. A craving for sin and evil. And Numbers, Numbers 11 may be the basis of this. Now, at the same time, we've got to realize he's not only pointing to what happened in the past, he's applying it to those in Corinth, the listener, 
it makes us to believe that part of the congregation in Corinth was craving the evil they had before. They kind of like their old friends. They kind of like going back to the temple and eating meat offered to idols. They kind of crave the past. So he's warning them not to do that. The second one. And, okay, and some of them worshipped images so that it is written, the people ate and drank and rose up to play. This has to be, and this quotation, that quotation, the people ate and drank and rose up to play, is a direct quote from Exodus 32, the golden calf. The golden calf. They were worshipped, they worshipped the idol of the golden calf. And the word, they sat down to eat and drink, they rose up to play. That word play has the connotation of sexual immorality. Throughout, uh, throughout these things, we always find, both in the Old Testament and among the Gentiles, that idolatry is always associated, closely linked with sexual immorality. So the people had fallen into this um, sexual immorality. They were eating, sitting down to eat and drink at idols' tables and then rose up to play. And evidently, that's exactly what was happening in Corinth. The people wanted to go back to some of the things they used to do. You see, they had a false sense of security, too, about the strength of their spirituality. They thought that it was just fine for them and they could handle believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, but at the same time being able to eat with their old friends, meat offered to idols, and maybe even dabble in the sexual immorality too, and they could handle it and deal with both. That seems to be what he's warning them about. And verse 8. Verse 8 is, is very pointed. Um, do not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them fornicated, and 23,000 
fell in one day. The number immediately cues us in to this is the incident at Baal Peor in Numbers 25. It specifically states that they went after Baal Peor, the children of Israel, again with rampant sexual immorality, and God became angry. The Old Testament account says he killed 24,000. Why does Paul say 23,000? The general uh, opinion is he doesn't want to overstate the case. Plus, they offered, uh, they often lowered numbers by one. But it's obviously the same event because there's no other event like this in the Old Testament. But again, what is it? It's dabbling with idolatry. Dabbling with things, and Paul is afraid you dabble with them long enough, you may be disqualified. And an old basketball coach that always said, lay down with dogs, get up with fleas. Okay? And it's true. If you subject yourself to these things constantly, even though you don't think it's having an effect on you, it will. It will. Okay, number nine. And do not test, we do not test Christ as some of them tested him. And they were destroyed by snakes. Well, we all know that one. Okay. The people grumbled. The people grumbled and God sent snakes that killed them. Okay. It's in Numbers 21. Numbers 21. They say, Paul actually says, they tested Christ. Okay. Now what's it being say here? What did they grumble against? The food again. The food provided by Christ. Therefore, when they grumbled, they were sinning, not against Moses, but against God. He's saying Christ. Sat, sinned against the Christ himself when they despised the food that he provided them. Okay? And they were killed by snakes. Okay? That's the fourth example. Fifth example. Um... Fifth example, and do not grumble, as some of them grumbled, and they were destroyed by, I don't know what your translations say, but the actual word 
is the destroyer or Satan. This, we believe, is from number 16. You remember that there was a man named Korah and company, and they complained against Moses' leadership. They grumbled against Moses' leadership. And so, the earth opened and swallowed them whole, together with all their families. This is number 16. This may be more specific in Corinth because what Paul is saying is they complained against Moses, this is what happened to him. Don't complain against me. God sent Moses to them. God sent me to you. So this may be directed more specifically that they are uh, complaining against Paul. Now notice the, the, the next verse is very interesting because it puts this into context. Verse 11, these things happened for an example, an example, an example for you. As the end of the ages arise, arrives, okay, draws near. And then it says, but in the middle of that verse, what does it say? They were written for our instruction. Very important. What Paul is saying is, the recorded word of God is not just a history lesson. It is the word of God for our instruction so that we do not fall into the same things. So that we don't fall into the same patterns in life. And no, in our day and age, we're not falling down and worshiping idols. That's called coarse idolatry. We practice fine idolatry. The things in life that at times we enjoy and think we can handle that may lead us astray. That may lead us astray. And usually, each person in their own life has something that troubles them more than any other area, okay? Just about every person has some area that can be a cause of sin for them more than other areas. And to continue to dabble in it can put us in a position where we may not be as spiritually strong as we think we are. And it may have a greater effect on us than we think. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians, 
you can't keep dabbling in idolatry. You can't keep dabbling in these things. Even if they're not hurting you, they're hurting your weak brother who may question his faith because of what you're doing. Don't think you can dabble in the idolatry that surrounded you, the sexual immorality that surrounded you in your old way of life, and come away unscathed. Come away unscathed. Because God knows how we are. God knows how we are. Okay? Verse 12. So that the one, the one who thinks he stands beware lest he fall. Okay? Lest he fall. A warning. And then he says, a temptation. No temptation is laid upon you that is not common to manhood. In other words, there's no temptation that comes upon you that you can think, I'm unique here. This is the only one that this is happening to. I'm the only one this is happening to. You know, Elijah thought that. He fled to the wilderness. He said, I'm the only one left. And God said, well, I've reserved thousands. You're not the only one left. Don't think any temptation, you're the only one that's suffering with that. And it says, God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But with the temptation, he makes a way of escape. A way of escape. A way out. That you may be able to stand. Okay? You may be able to stand. That's a promise of God. He will not tempt you above what you are able. Okay? And why can't you be attempted, uh, uh, tempted above what you are able? Because Jesus Christ has conquered all sin and all temptation. If you fall, it's your fault. Now, that also means don't walk into the thing that tempts you the most. Okay? That's what stupid Peter did. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. The moron should have gone and hid in a cave for four days. Then he wouldn't have denied him. What does he do? Walk right into the middle of Jesus' opponents. And of course he lost. Of course, he denied him three times. If you know that something tempts you, stay away from it. If you walk into the middle of it, you are being overconfident about your spiritual abilities. 
You don't have any spiritual abilities except what is given you by God. Don't walk into the middle of something that you are tempted by the most and expect to survive. Okay? That's part of spiritual discipline. That's part of going back to what Paul was talking about before. Spiritual discipline is knowing yourself well enough to know the things that you need to avoid. The things that tempt you the most. That's part of spiritual discipline. And that's what he's saying. So, verse 14, he simply says, Wherefore, beloved, my beloved, flee idolatry. Flee idolatry. Okay? You can't play with this. Now, God, this is not the first time God has said that um, by any means. Um, if we, uh, he talks about that in Deuteronomy, all the way back in Deuteronomy. Um, he, he, uh, he wants us to know, let me read you this passage from Deuteronomy. And, and this is, this is, you know, they're ready to enter the promised land, but this is what he's warning them. Um, here are the verses. But Jeshurun, that's a poetic name for Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Okay? That's all the way from Deuteronomy. Then Paul has a second warning from them. Let me read this to you. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. The temple of the living God. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Okay? 
Again, we're talking about not dabbling with things. Not dabbling with things that can get us into big trouble. Okay? Now, let me pause there and see if there are any questions, comments. Yeah, Don? Yes, Don is saying uh, you can't turn on the TV that you're not bombarded with people telling you that these things that we know are wrong are okay. And that is exactly a correct observation because we're simply bombarded with it. And it's also in social media and it's also in music and movies. The world is bombarding us and we have to be spiritually discerning to know the difference. To know the difference. And each person has to decide uh, for themselves, for their children, what they're going to do and what they're not. Okay. And it's a hard decision and it's really tough as much as this stuff is all around us. Okay. Yeah, but Christ. They are types to avoid. That's right. Sometimes the types are not things to emulate, but things to avoid. Adam was a type of Christ. By him, sin came to all men. By Christ, forgiveness and life came to man. Do not emulate Adam. Emulate Christ. Okay. So sometimes the types are, as you say, things you don't want anything to do with. Okay, then he says, um, no, it's not 15. I speak to the wise. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communion with the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not a communion or fellowship with the body of Christ? And now he's introducing a whole new emphasis. And it's going to deal with the Lord's Supper. You cannot 
go and eat at the table of demons, idols, and at the same time partake of the Lord's Supper. He is drawing the line in the sand. You cannot do both. Now he's saying, no more trying to balance one against the other. You can't do both. All right? Four, because we, there is one loaf, and we who are many are one body. For we all use or participate in one bread. All right. Now, this is the unity factor. What he's saying this is this. Uh, the, the, the analogy has been drawn. Um, if you took a loaf of bread and scattered it all over the floor, each piece of that bread is still a part of the one loaf, the one bread. Even though they're scattered and distant from each other, they are of the one bread. So, we as Christians all partake of Holy Communion. But we are one as the body of Christ. Because we're not talking about a loaf of bread, we're talking about Christ. And every person here is a member of one body. And that's the body of Christ. Okay? And no matter where you go and how far you are from everybody else, you're a member of one body. Jesus Christ. Okay? One body. Therefore, you can't be a member of the body of Christ and a member of an idol. Okay? Member of an idol. You are of Jesus Christ. Okay? Look at Israel according to the flesh. Okay? Did they not eat of, uh, at the altar? And eating from the altar is not eating from the altar fellowship with the altar. Fellowship with the altar. Okay? So, he's pointing to the Old Testament Levites. Every sacrifice, most of them, the Levites, got a portion of what was sacrificed to provide them with food. When they ate of that food, were they not at one with the altar? 
the altar of God, the sacrifice of God. Okay? That's what he's saying. Were they not one with the sacrifice of God? But on the other hand, then it says in 19, What do I imply? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? In other words, he's saying, I'm not going back to what I said on, on what I said to begin with, that idols are nothing and food offering to, offered to idols are nothing. Because idols don't exist to begin with. He's not going back on what he said before. But then, he goes on. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be in fellowship with demons. So what he's saying is, you go into an idol's temple, you know full well that the food that you're eating was sacrificed to that idol. Then you are in a communion fellowship with the idol. And how can you be in communion fellowship with an idol? And at the same time, claim you are at fellowship with God. 21. You are not able to drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. And you are not able to use the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't have it both ways. Can't have it both ways. And I know it's easy for us to, to just blow this off and say, well, we're not worshiping idols, but in our own lives at times there are things that encroach on our Christian faith with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's being said here. That's what he's warning against. And then he says, uh, do we make God jealous? We are not stronger than he is. Okay? Do you think that by worshiping idols and partaking in this stuff, you're making God jealous? And you are. But he's stronger than we are. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, and I'm going to put you off till next week. Because he's, he's going to bring this full circle. Okay? He's going to bring this full circle. On the one hand, he says it doesn't matter. Because you know and I know that the idol doesn't exist, 
and therefore the sacrifice is useless. On the other hand, he's saying, if you do that enough, it may affect you. It may affect. Maybe you do this. Well, if I can eat food offered to idols, that's no big deal. Maybe I can have sexual immorality, which some of them were saying. So in other words, it's kind of a domino effect is what he's trying to warn against. What he's trying to warn against. Yeah, but... Yes, and some of them were doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we're going to talk next week more about the term poionia, communion, fellowship. What does that word actually mean? And we are going to meet next week, even though it's Thanksgiving weekend. Okay, we will meet next week. For chapter, and we'll we'll finish chapter ten because then he winds up all the stuff about food offered to idols, and then he jumps in full full scale to the holy communion. Okay. All right. Yes, Ruth. One more. Yes, um, Ruth, Ruth is saying, we know this stuff is wrong, but when society says it's okay and society speaks against you for saying it's wrong, that's always in the back of our minds, isn't it? Okay? It's always in the back of our minds. Okay grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a great week. Great Thanksgiving. We'll see you next Sunday.